The scripture for today's sermon comes from Luke 2, 22 through 40. The word of God speaks to us like this. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit, into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in the arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now now." You are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them to say, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow, she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak to him, all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. This is the very word of God to us. Thanks be to God. Good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Bryce Johnson. I am pastoral resident here at Frontline, and it is a joy and honor to be here uh, before you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'd love to get, have the opportunity to do so. Um, and so if you uh, wouldn't mind introducing yourself, uh, I'd love um, the opportunity to buy a cup of coffee or a meal. Um, as has been said, Happy New Year. Uh, we are here. We are 2022. You hopefully have survived all the memes and jokes about this being 2020 part two. Um, and, and we've made it. We're here. Um, and I, I hope you're able to celebrate Christmas and New Year's with people near and dear to you. My family and I were in the Dallas area the last uh, several days with family where um, we ate enough sugar to give a small country a cavity. Um, we played board games um, and we uh, unwrapped an unholy amount of Christmas gifts um, for my daughter because she's the youngest. She's the youngest granddaughter, the youngest niece. Um, the first grandchild on, on my side, and so she is naturally the center of a lot of attention and affection. Um, and we are apparently teaching her uh, that Christmas is about materialism, um, as we received an uh, incredible amount of gifts. Uh, our, the, car, the back of our car was so full that I couldn't see um, out the rearview mirror uh, driving home. No joke, I had to use the, the side mirrors, and so, but... We made it here. We made it back to Yukon last night. Um, Apparently, we made it to the Arctic uh, because I had no idea when we moved to Yukon a year ago that uh, it would get this cold. 
this frequently. Um, we, we left a car, uh, a cup of coffee in our car last night as we were, uh, you know, uh, picked up some coffee on our drive, left in the car this morning. It had miraculously turned into a frappuccino uh, as I turned into a slush. And so it's just, it's amazing uh, what the weather will do. Um, but you're here. You, you brave the cold and the snow, and you're here, and it is so good to see your faces this morning. Um, you might be wondering why uh, the Christmas lights and trees are still up. Uh, you're thinking, Christmas was nine days ago. Why in the world have they not taken all this stuff down? Some of you overly ambitious types have already taken down the tree at your house. You've taken down the lights. Um, and so the fact that the church still has it up feels like an abomination. Um, and might I offer that maybe it's not us who's the abomination. Uh, and I rebuke the spirit of the Grinch that's among us. Um, my, my, my wife took down stuff last night, so you can't, can't really say much. So many times we spend the month of December uh, in, in anticipation, waiting for Christmas, right? So, so we, we are waiting, looking forward to December 25th, and, and we have uh, sermons and, and series, and, and even just our whole posture is waiting and moving towards Christmas, and then Christmas Day gets here, and it's over, and then boom, back to our normal scheduled programming, isn't it? But what we wanted to do is we wanted to, to, to camp out here for a few weeks, to camp out in the reality of the incarnation, the reality that God put on flesh and dwelt among us. And so we took last Sunday to look at the story of the angels coming to the shepherds who were in the fields and God declaring to the shepherds, the, the lowly of society, the good news that he had come for mankind. And this week, what we wanted to look at is the story of Simeon and Anna. Um, it's probably the least known story, Christmas story, the, one of the least preached about. Um, if, if I were to ask you to name off Christmas stories in the Bible, no doubt you would tell me about the angel visiting Mary and Joseph and telling Mary, even though you're a virgin, you will bear a child and he will be the son of God or Maybe you tell me about Jesus being born in a manger surrounded by uh, animals. Um, maybe you might even tell me the story about the wise men visiting Jesus and bearing gifts, even though that probably happened when he was around two years old. We, we have these stories um, and, and pictures that we uh, share around the holiday, but something that we often don't talk much about is the story of Simeon and Anna. And I think their place in the birth of Jesus is actually incredibly valuable. And so we'll be looking at that passage today. So if you have a copy of the scripture, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Now, I won't go and read the 18 verses that uh, Kendra read uh, this morning, but, but here's what happened in the passage we just read. Joseph and Mary and Jesus head up from Bethlehem, where Jesus was born, and they head up to Jerusalem uh, because they were devout Jews. And what devout Jews would do is they had these certain sacrifices and certain rituals that uh, they had to do in the temple. And based off of what we know in the Old Testament law, based off the timing of what's going on, Jesus would have been uh, about 40 days old, because by 40 days he needed to be presented in the temple. And so about six weeks after his birth, uh, we get the story of Simeon and Anna. And as I was studying this passage, reading through it this week, I was 
thinking back about when my daughter was six weeks old. She's almost two right now, and so I was racking my mind to, to, to think about what she was when she was uh, 40 days old. And so I went through my pictures, and I found a picture of her. Um, that's her on the screen right there, just a bundle of rolls. Um, she, she came out with a ton of rolls, and she's grown out, grown out of about 70% of them. She's still got a lot of them. Uh, but that's my daughter uh, at uh, six weeks. Um, Honestly, this is just an opportunity for me to show off a picture of her. Um, but it, 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 what I want to do is just kind of get a picture of what, of, of so many times we think of Jesus and we think of infant, brand new, right out of the womb baby Jesus, and then we think of Jesus hanging on a cross or as an adult. Um, and, and I want us to think and remind ourselves that, that once upon a time, Jesus was a small bundle of life. That Jesus did all the normal things that a baby would do. And so Mary, Joseph, and six-week-old baby Jesus show up at the temple to offer sacrifices, which are normally a lamb and a turtle dove, but the law offered a provision where if you couldn't afford a lamb because lambs were expensive, well, then you could bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. And so here's what Luke just told us. Luke just told us that Mar Mary and Joseph were not financially well off. They brought two pigeons as their sacrifice. And so, so there's two observations here. One is how incredible is it that the Son of God, the Savior of the world, would choose such humble means to enter the world? We, we often talk about the humility, right, of Jesus being born in a manger, being born in a food trough. But, but it wasn't like Jesus was born lowly and then went on to live a middle-class Jewish life. He grew up with meager means. This is who the Son of God, who the God of the universe chooses to identify with. And the second thing is, if you feel like you're struggling today to make ends meet, here's the good news. Jesus can identify with you. The, the book of Hebrews tells us that in Jesus we have a perfect high priest who can sympathize with us. And the reality is that Jesus can sympathize with us because Jesus also grew up in such a house. So while Mary and Joseph are at the temple with baby Jesus, an elderly man shows up. He's devout and righteous. The scripture tells us his name is Simeon. And when he sees Jesus, he gathers Jesus into his arms and he starts singing to God. And he sings about God's salvation. And, and around that time, there's also a woman, there, a prophetess by the name of Anna. The Bible says that she's incredibly devout. She basically lives in the temple. She's this old widow who's lived in the temple for decades she starts worshiping God and telling everyone about Jesus. Now, here's what Mark is showing us. There's so many things we could talk about in this text. What Mark is showing us is he's showing us how two people respond when they meet Jesus for the first time. When they meet Jesus for the very first time. And spoiler alert, it's the right response. It's the response for all of us. And here's what I want us to dwell on this morning. I want us to dwell on the fact that Jesus is everything that we long for and desire if we would have him. Jesus is everything that our hearts long for and desire if we would have him. Jesus is beautiful and wonderful and does these amazing things, but he's also controversial. Jesus is the one that our hearts have been waiting for, that there's nothing better, nothing more satisfying that will complete us, that will fill the deepest longings of our heart like Jesus. And yet Jesus will also make demands on our lives, demands to make a decision about following him. 
So that's where we're going this morning. My first point is Jesus is who our hearts long for. Now the story, as, as, you're, as you're reading, it's, it's bracketed by this word waiting. Simeon and Anna were both waiting for what Luke describes as the consolation of Israel or the redemption of Jerusalem. To put it simply, they were waiting for hope. See, Israel, uh, for Israel to be comforted, for God to visit his people and to come through on his promises. If you were around for our Advent series, this is what we observed, what we talked about, the waiting, the longing for, for hope for joy, for peace that preceded the birth of Jesus. See, Israel was God's chosen people who he had placed his covenant love on, his people of promise. But by this point in history, it didn't feel that way. By this point in history, they were under Roman occupation. They were scattered throughout the region. They, they, it seemed like God was silent but they knew that God had made a promise. They knew that it wasn't supposed to be this way. They knew that God had something more for them, and so they were waiting for change. And in so many ways, is that not the story of our lives? We are a people who are constantly waiting for change or waiting for what's next. It starts from when we're young ki- kids, right? When, when we're young, we can't wait to get old. We can't wait to get a license, or we can't wait to go to college, or we can't wait to get married, we can't wait to have kids, we can't wait to retire. Friends, my, my, one of my questions this morning for us is what are you waiting for? What is it in your heart that you long for right now, that you beg God for? What is it that you think, you, you, won't, you might not admit this out loud, but you think deep down in your heart of hearts, you believe that if this thing changed, then life would actually get better or life would get easier, or, or, or things would have a brighter outlook? Is it, is it the waiting for a spouse, thinking that if, if only you had a husband or only you had a wife, life would be a little bit better than it is right now? Is it the waiting for a child? Some, some of you are walking through infertility right now. We mourn with you. Is, is it the waiting for a child to come home? Is it the waiting for healing? Is it the waiting for some sort of semblance of pre-COVID normalcy? And in the waiting, do you wonder, is God still listening? Does he still care? What what we discussed and what we discovered through our Advent series and what the Christmas story tells us is a resounding yes. God does indeed care. And he shows us that he cares in the fact that he sent Jesus for you and I. The incarnation, the Christmas story is a yes, God cares, God comes through on his promises. But here's the thing I was reflecting on this week. Sorry. Here's the thing I was reflecting on this week. If you had asked Simeon and Anna the day before the story, if you had asked them what they were waiting on, I doubt they would say they were waiting for a six-week-old baby. If you had asked the people of Israel what they were waiting for, it wasn't ultimately Jesus. What they were waiting for, they wanted, they wanted political victory. They wanted Rome off their backs. They wanted autonomy. They wanted religious observance. They wanted religious uniformity. It wasn't a baby Jesus. And yet, what happens when Simeon actually meets Jesus? If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke 2, verse 29. Simeon grabs up Jesus in his arms. And listen to what he says. 
He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon just said, God, I can die now. You can take me because I've seen your salvation. I've seen how you're going to come through. Now, let me ask you a question. What did Simeon actually see right there in that moment? Did, did, he see, did he see the miracles and all the wonderful things that Jesus would do? Did he hear the, the parables and the teachings that Jesus would say? Did he see Jesus walking to a cross and dying on a cross to take on the sins of the world? No, what Simeon saw right there was just a little baby. He saw a baby that needed nourishment from the breast of Mary. He saw a baby that would spit up on Joseph's shoulder, who needed his diapers changed and had blowouts, who kept his parents up at night, was crying. My parents say amen. Jesus didn't do anything in that moment, right? Jesus was just a baby. A six-week-old baby does nothing except inconvenience your life. Jesus didn't do anything except exist. And yet, when Simeon saw Jesus, he breaks out into song. He knew that this is what he had been waiting for his entire life. Simeon never saw Israel come out of Roman rule. He never saw Israel return to political power. He probably didn't live long enough to see Jesus do miracles or go to the cross and yet, in this baby, Simeon experienced what his heart had been longing for the entire time. Simeon experienced right there what the psalmist talks about in Psalm 1611, where the psalmist says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. See, Jesus truly satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. And if you've been around church for a little while, you've probably heard that. But I wonder how many of us have actually experienced that to be true. Maybe it sounds like something Christians say, something that you would hear from a pulpit, but you wonder, is that actually really true? Is that just nice Christian talk? I wonder if there's some of you in this room who have been coming to church your whole life but have never experienced Jesus to actually be satisfying. Do you, ever, do you ever think, like I have at many times in life, that Jesus is pretty great, but I think there are actually more satisfying things out there? Or Jesus is, seems pretty cool, but he actually seems to be holding me back from things that would be really satisfying. If you were honest, if you had to pick today, would you rather have Jesus and a dead-end job or a job that gave you fulfillment without Jesus? Does wealth and financial security sound like a better deal than poverty but the joy of Christ? See, finding Jesus as your deepest satisfaction doesn't mean that he meets all your wants and desires, which, by the way, is what we call the prosperity gospel. But it also doesn't mean that you never have any wants or desires again, which is very similar to what Buddhism teaches. But what it means is that if all you had was Jesus, it would be enough because he truly meets every longing that you have. 
Listen, this isn't just something that churches and pastors say because it sounds good. We say it because it's really true. Think back, what is, what is the deepest longing that your heart wants right now, that you had when you were growing up or that you have right now? I think for a lot of us, it's to be known, to be known deeply and intimately. Is it to be loved? Is it for security and safety? See, when you experience the joy of Jesus, you experience a person and you experience a hope in the midst of brokenness. He provides a way to live and he actually meets those needs because he knows you fully. He knows what you did yesterday and he knows what you did 10 years ago and he knows what you're gonna do tomorrow. He knows you and he loves you. Not because of your perfection, but because of who he is. And he offers you security and safety and life eternal. Jesus meets the deepest longings of our heart. And I wonder for how many of us, it's been a little while since we've actually felt that. Jesus meets the deepest longings of our heart, but, but he's more than just a feel-good patch that we put on. Jesus is also a fork in the road. I think, I think a lot of times, um, and I'm guilty of this, we're, able, we're guilty of slipping into this I thought that if only people rightly saw Jesus, if only they, they rightly knew him, then they would follow him. If, if only uh, they knew the true Jesus, then who wouldn't want to believe him or follow him? It's Christians who give Jesus a bad rep, right? And while I think there's, there's a certain truth to that, right? There, there, there's unfortunately hypocritical Christians who hurt the cause of Christ. What this passage tells us is that's not, that not everyone will see Jesus as actually worth it. See, Simeon says something else after he sings praises to God. Luke chapter 2, verse 34, Simeon blessed them, being Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Simeon just said that Jesus would cause some to rise and some to fall and that there'd be some who oppose him and that Jesus would reveal the thoughts of hearts. And what he's basically saying is that Jesus is a fork in the road. Either you follow him in his way or you oppose him. Now, we live on the other side of this story, and we know that Jesus ends up being murdered on a cross, right? Jesus isn't just a misunderstood prophet. He's not just a nice guy who got got by the government. He was killed because he was a threat. He said some beautiful things. He did some amazing, wonderful things, but he also made claims on those who would follow him. He demanded affection, and he demanded ultimate allegiance. And rather than people just being indifferent to him, they killed him. This is why Simeon says that a sword would pierce Mary's heart because she would see her son hanging on a cross. Listen, far too often, I think we can be indifferent to Jesus. Or worse, I think we can, we, we think we can be moderate Christians with some moderate religion, right? Not too much, but not too little. We, we think we can have just enough Jesus to keep us out of hell, but not enough to where he changes how we live or how we give or what we do with our time. We, we like a lot of the things that Jesus says, 
But like Thomas Jefferson famously did, what we want to do is just cut out the parts of the Bible or cut out the parts of Jesus that uh, rub against us, that we don't like. And it might be because we, don't, we haven't interacted with the real Jesus. See, Jesus is a crossroad. You either follow him with your life or you don't, but whatever you do will reveal your heart. It will expose your heart, whether you've truly found him to be the source of deepest satisfaction. Maybe that scares you, or maybe it worries you. Can I offer that it doesn't need to? Because this is what kind of Savior Jesus is. Not only does he satisfy the deepest longings of your heart, he died for you and me. He died so that we might be made right with God and to rise to him in new life. The beauty of Jesus is that it's never too late. Maybe you said no to him at some point in the past. Maybe you said no to him uh, yesterday. Maybe you've been antagonistic towards him, or maybe, more likely, you've sprinkled just enough Jesus in your life to make you feel comfortable. Like, like the way you put salt on food, right? Just enough to maybe get some flavors to pop, but not enough to radically change it. Listen, it's never too late to go all in on Jesus. He's the God of grace, but he's also the God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances. Would you turn to him today? Would you turn to him today? This actually leads me to my last section. It's how should we respond to Jesus? I think, I think in Simeon and Anna, we see three actions um, that's modeled for everyone of us who would encounter Jesus. And the first thing is to receive Jesus. Look at what Simon does when he sees Jesus for the first time. Luke chapter 2, verse 27. And he, being Simeon, uh, came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. The text tells us that he took him up in his arms and the picture I think that we get is this elderly man picking up a baby and holding him. But the New Testament was written in Greek and, and Luke, the author of this book, when he's writing Greek, he doesn't use the word that we would use when, when someone just takes up someone or picks someone, picks up a baby. But, but it's this word, he uses this different Greek word that has this idea of, of receiving, of welcoming someone. It, it's, it's the word that's used when you've been waiting for someone to come over for a long time. And so, so you, you clean the house and you get the house ready and, and, and you get the snacks and the food um, and you wait in anticipation until this person shows up on the front door. And then you, when the guest arrives, you welcome them in. That's the word Luke uses. Simeon receives Jesus. And, and maybe you've heard that language growing up of receiving Jesus or accepting him. And maybe you're like me and you grew up in an environment where you were saved when you received Jesus into your heart or you accepted Jesus into your life. Maybe you did it at some camp or after some sermon, but you don't even know what that means, really. You, re you receive Jesus sort of like, like, assuming it's like a get-out-of-hell-free card, right? When, when I was seven years old, what I really wanted for Christmas was a Sega Genesis console. This was, was way back in the days. It ages me a little bit. Uh, but I wanted a Sega Genesis uh, console. I wanted to play NBA Jam and Sonic the Hedgehog. And so I asked my parents for it. And when they finally presented to me my Christmas gift, it was... It was in a box about this high, and I eagerly, eagerly opened it. I 
ripped off the paper and opened the box, and inside the box were three sweaters. A green one, a white one, and I don't, can't even remember the other color. And <laughs> with many tears and sadness of heart, I received this gift. But that's not what this picture is to receive. See, the, the picture of receiving Jesus is, is, is John, actually, the, the Apostle John gives us a glimpse of what this means in, in, his, uh, in his gospel. John chapter 1, verse 11 he talks about Jesus, says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John relates, relates receiving to believing. So believing in Jesus is part of what it means to receive him. Not, not, just, not just believing facts about him, but believing in Jesus' name, believing who he is as the son of God who has come to rescue the world, believing that he is the savior who has reconciled us to God, believing in Jesus' name means believing him that he has saved you out of a life of chasing wind and given you the ability to be called a child of God. We, we, we receive it. We receive it with gladness of heart. But there's another aspect of receiving Jesus that I think is just right here, plain in the text. Uh, I'm assuming many of us in this room have picked up a baby, have we not? Let me ask you, how do you pick up a baby? Grab a baby and you bring him in, right? If you're in here and you pick up a baby and this is how you carry around a baby, maybe you shouldn't be picking up babies. You don't do that, right? You pick up a child and, and you bring them in. There's a whole bodiness to it, right? You, you, you embrace them. You bring them close to your heart. Friends, this is, this is what we do with Jesus. We take him. We take his words, his actions, his life, his death and resurrection, and we embrace them. We cherish them. We hold them close to our heart. We treasure it. See, as long as we hold that at arm's length, we, we won't ever receive it. It'll be like my sweaters. Yeah, I have it in my hands, but, but I'm not cherishing it. I'm not receiving it. We, and we embrace all of him in the same way that I don't embrace just my daughter's silliness and her joy, but I embrace her tantrums and her shyness and her tears. When we embrace Jesus, we embrace all of him and let him shape us. Receiving Jesus will shape us because he will make demands on us. So we receive Jesus. The second thing we do is we worship Jesus. Watch what Simeon does next in this passage. Again, Luke chapter 2, verse 27. And he, being Simeon, came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Now, it may feel weird to say that Simeon blessed God. We, we usually only talk about God being the one who does the blessing, who blesses, not as the one who receives the blessing. But scripture is actually full of people who bless God. Moses does it. Abraham does it. David does it. We even sing songs about it, don't we? We sing, God, blessed be your name. And we do it not so that God would somehow be helped or enhanced or strengthened, but to praise God and thank him for what he has done. Pastor John Piper says it this way. He says, to bless God 
means to recognize his great richness, his strength, and gracious bounty, and to express our gratitude and delight in seeing and experiencing it. In other words, to bless God is to offer him worship. In, in many ways, this is actually the outcome of receiving Jesus. When you see Jesus for who he really is, when you embrace his life and his teaching and his work, what else comes out of you except worship? And what we do here on Sunday mornings is certainly worship. Our, our order of worship or our liturgy is one of worship. We have a call to worship and we sing songs of worship and we worship through our prayer and intercession and we worship in our giving and we worship as we listen to the sermon and we worship as we take communion. But worship is not just confined to the 70 minutes you spend here on a Sunday morning. The Christian life is one of worship and maybe you've heard that. I think most of us understand that in some way, but I wonder how many of us actually practically live that out. Friends, what if we, what if we prayed a prayer of thanksgiving every time we took a restroom break at work? What, what, if we, what if we memorized scripture with our kids as we dropped them off? What if we graciously served our neighbors to reflect and respond in the way that Jesus has graciously loved and served us? I'll be the first to admit this is, this is a challenge for me. And I get paid to do this. Right? There's so many pressing things and good things to do, so much so that worship is often relegated to the fringe margins of my day. Right? Praying as I go off to sleep, praying before a meal, singing some songs as I'm in my car. From like what might it look like if we found moments in our day, in our week, to intentionally worship God? Let me ask you, how might that change our day? How might that change how we view our circumstances? How might that cause us to rightly view our longings and our desires? So we receive Jesus, we worship Jesus, and lastly, what we see in this passage is a call to proclaim Jesus. We, we don't get a lot about Anna in this passage. What we hear is that she's uh, a, a prophetess, a devout woman. She basically lives in the temple, but look at what she does when she interacts with Jesus. Verse 38, and coming up at that very hour, so as soon as Simeon uh, interacts with Jesus, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him, him being Jesus, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna worships God and then starts talking about Jesus to anyone who would listen, to anyone else who was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Can you picture her? She, 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 she leaves this interaction with Jesus and she goes and finds her friends. She says, guys, I found him. I found it. They're like, the redemption of Jerusalem? She's like, yes. They're like, great. They talk about like a military leader, a king, a prophet. Like, like, like what, what do we have? Guys, hang with me. I met this baby in the temple. Can you imagine the response? And I think you've been fasting a little too long. But for Anna, she couldn't but help but proclaim Jesus because she couldn't help but share what she had seen and experienced herself. 
when we talk about evangelism or we talk about sharing our faith, I think most of us get a little queasy, a little uncomfortable, right? We know this is thing that we're supposed to do, but it feels really awkward. Um, and, and I think a lot of us have a hard time doing it. But, but we all understand the concept at a fundamental level, don't we? When we go on this on amazing vacation or we see this beautiful sunset or we have this great experience, we can't help but tell others about it or post it on social media, right? This, look, at this, look at the beauty of the Grand Canyon right here. When you eat a fantastic meal or, or personally drink a great cup of coffee, right? can't help but post a Yelp review or a Google review or, or tell others about it. If, if, if you were to come to me and tell me that you're going to visit Austin, the f- one of the first things I would tell you is about the amaz- this amazing restaurant called Suerte, where they have these suadero tacos, which are like God's gift to your mouth. It's the most amazing thing you would ever put in your mouth. I've told many of you in this room right now about the suadero tacos at Suerte. Write that down next time you're in Austin. You'll thank me later. Wh- why do we do that? Well, it's because our enjoyment isn't fully complete until we share it. Sharing is actually the the fulfillment of our joy. And so many times when we talk about sharing our faith, we overcomplicate it. We talk about formulas and and, and steps to share your faith, and and those are all good and right. But, But as you read through the New Testament, the vast majority of people proclaiming Jesus simply declare what they've experienced themselves. You have the woman at the well. She has this interaction with Jesus, and she goes back to her hometown. And she says, come meet this person who's told me everything I've done in my life. Jesus heals this blind man, and he goes around, and and he's causing a ruckus, and he gets interrogated by the religious leaders. And they're asking him, like, are you his follower? Who is this guy? And what he says is, look, the only thing I know is I used to be blind, but now I can see. What he shares is this experience that he's had. Friends, what has Jesus done in your life? This is is not just a rhetorical question, a real question for you. As you're sitting in your seat, think about it. What has Jesus actually done in your life? Has he provided healing in your body or healing in a relationship? Has Has he saved you from addiction? Has he forgiven you of sins that you thought were unforgivable? Has he met you in your loneliness? Has he walked with you in your suffering? Friends, you have a testimony that you have now that you can share with others, that you could tell others who are struggling. See, the New Testament church exploded in growth because everyday people like you and me shared what they had experienced. Can I tell you that I'm most successful in my sharing of my faith, not when I walk up to a stranger and ask him if, if they know where they're going to go when they die but when I share what I have experienced in my own life, sharing what Jesus has done for me. You don't have to be a skilled evangelist. You don't have to take a course in apologetics or or know how to defend the divinity of Jesus. But what you can do is declare what you have experienced yourself. And And we get to experience this ourselves in our community group rhythms, which, by the way, are starting up again this week. Come find us if you're not plugged into one. In our family meals, we get to share, hey, this is what God is doing in my life. This is what Jesus is teaching me in his word. In our discipleship groups, we, 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 get to, we get to show, hey, this is what Jesus did for me today. This is how I'm experiencing more of him. 
And as we do this, we get to encourage one another in the faith as we remind ourselves of the way God is working even now in our lives. We also get to do this with those around us that don't yet have the hope. Friends, how do you, how do you walk with someone who's walking through hopelessness, who's walking through suffering, who feels like there's no hope or light? One is by the gift of your presence. But two is by sharing how you too might have been there and how Jesus has met you. It, it doesn't have to be a cute, wrapped up story, a bow. Yeah, I was this, but now I'm this. It can be how Jesus is walking with you even now in the midst of your suffering. We offer hope as we share and proclaim Jesus. So listen, I, I, I don't know where you are in following Jesus this morning. Maybe you've been following him faithfully for a while. Maybe you're new to him. <laughs> Maybe you try to add a little bit of Jesus here and there as you see fit, but it doesn't feel all that different. Can I, can I offer, can I invite you to follow him completely this morning? See, following Jesus is, a, is a, it's not just a one-time thing that you do, that you did when you were 13 years old at that altar call. Following, receiving Jesus is something we do regularly, every day. So would you receive him this morning? Would you take him for all for who he is? Would you savor and experience him meeting the deepest longings of your heart? I was talking with uh, Derek Chapin uh, after the last service, and we were, he was reminding me, reflecting on this beauty that even, think about this, even before even before you were born, right, at the beginning of time, God knew the deepest longings of your heart, your desire to be known, to be loved, to be protected, to, be, to have security and safety. And he made a way to meet, meet you in that. Guys, would you receive him? Would you receive him as you'd receive a child? Would you embrace him and feel the embrace as Jesus embraces you? Let's pray.